The Story Girl, Chapter 12, The Blue Chest of Rachel Ward It's utterly out of the question, Aunt Janet said seriously. When Aunt Janet said seriously that anything was out of the question, it meant that she was thinking about it and would probably end up by doing it. If a thing really was out of the question, she merely laughed and refused to discuss it at all. The particular matter in, or out of question, that opening day of August was the project which Uncle Edward had recently mooted. Uncle Edward's youngest daughter was to be married, and Uncle Edward had written over urging Uncle Alec, Aunt Janet, and Aunt Olivia to go down to Halifax for a wedding and spend a week there. Uncle Alec and Aunt Olivia were eager to go, but Aunt Janet at first declared it was impossible. "'How could we go away and leave the place at the mercy of all these young ones?' she demanded. "'We'd come home, and they would be sick, and the house would be burned down.' "'Not a bit of fear of it,' scoffed Uncle Roger. "'Felicity is a good housekeeper, as good as you, and I shall be here to look after them all and keep them from burning the house down.' "'You've been promising Edward for years to visit him, "'and you'll never have a better chance. "'The hang is over and the harvest isn't on, "'and Alec needs a change. "'He isn't looking well at all.' "'I think it was Uncle Roger's last argument, "'which convinced Aunt Janet. "'In the end, she decided to go. "'Uncle Roger's house was to be closed, "'and he and Peter and the story girl "'were to take up their abode with us.' We were all delighted. Felicity especially seemed to be in seventh heaven, to be left in sole charge of a big house with three meals a day to plan and prepare, with poultry and cows and dairy and garden to superintend, apparently furnished forth Felicity's conception of paradise. Of course, we were all to help, but Felicity was to run things, and she gloried in it. The story girl was pleased, too. "'Felicity is going to give me cooking lessons,' she confided to me, as we walked in the orchard. "'Isn't that fine? In a week I ought to be able to learn something, don't you think? "'It will be easier when there are no grown-ups around to make me nervous and laugh if I make mistakes.' Uncle Alec and the aunts left on Monday morning. Poor Aunt Janet was full of dismal foreboding, and gave us so many charges and warnings— that we did not try to remember all of them. Uncle Alec merely told us to be good and mind what Uncle Roger said. Aunt Olivia laughed at us out of her pansy blue eyes and told us she knew exactly what we felt like and hoped we'd have a gorgeous time. Mind they go to bed at a decent hour, Aunt Janet called back to Uncle Roger as she drove out of the gate. And if anything dreadful happens, telegraph us. Then they were really gone, and we were all left to keep house. Uncle Roger and Peter went away to their work. Felicity at once set to prepare for dinner, and allotted to each of us our portion of the work. The story girl was to prepare the potatoes. Felix and Dan were to pick and shell the peas. Cecily was to attend the fire, and I was to peel the turnips. Felicity made our mouths water by announcing that she was going to make a roly-poly jam pudding for dinner. I peeled my turnips on the back porch and put them in their pot and set them on the stove. Then I was at liberty to watch the others, for they had longer jobs. 
The kitchen was a scene of happy activity, and the story girl peeled her potatoes somewhat slowly and awkwardly, for she was not deft at houseward tasks. Dan and Felix shelled peas and tormented Pat by attaching pods to his ears and tail. Felicity, flushed and serious, measured and stirred skillfully. I am sitting on a tragedy, said the story girl suddenly. Felix and I stared. We were not quite sure what a tragedy was. But we did not think it was an old blue chest, such as the story girl was undoubtedly sitting on, if eyesight counted for anything. The old chest filled up the corner between the table and the wall. Neither Felix nor I had ever thought about it particularly. It was very large and heavy, and Felicity generally said hard things of it when she swept the kitchen. This old blue chest holds a tragedy, explained the story girl. I know a story about it. Cousin Rachel Ward's wedding things are all in that old chest, said Felicity. Who was Cousin Rachel Ward, and why were her wedding things shut up in the old blue chest in Uncle Alec's kitchen? We demanded the tale instantly. The story girl told it to us as she peeled her potatoes. Perhaps the potatoes suffered. Felicity declared the eyes were not properly done at all, but the story did not. It is a sad story, said the story girl, and it happened fifty years ago, when Grandfather and Grandmother King were quite young. Grandmother's cousin Rachel Ward came to spend a winter with them. She belonged to Montreal, and she was an orphan too, just like the family ghost. I have never heard what she looked like, but she must have been beautiful, of course. Mother says she was awful sentimental and romantic, interjected Felicity. Well, anyway, she met Will Montague that winter. He was handsome, everybody says so. And an awful flirt, said Felicity. Felicity, I wish you wouldn't interrupt. It spoils the effect. What would you feel like if I went and kept stirring things that didn't belong to it into that pudding? I feel just the same way. Well, Will Montague fell in love with Rachel Ward, and she with him, and it was all arranged that they were to be married from here in the spring. Poor Rachel was so happy that winter. She made all her wedding things with her own hands. Girls did then, you know for there was no such thing as a sewing machine. Well, at last in April the wedding came. All the guests were here, and Rachel was dressed in her wedding robes, waiting for her bridegroom, and... The story girl laid down her knife and her potato and clasped her wet hands. Will Montague never came. We felt as much of a shock as if we had been one of the excited guests ourselves. "'What happened to him?' "'Was he killed, too?' asked Felix. "'The story girl sighed and resumed her work. "'No, indeed. I wish he had been. "'That would have been a suitable and romantic. "'No, it was just something horrid. "'He had to run away for debt. "'Fancy! He acted mean right through, Aunt Janet says. "'He never sent even a word to Rachel, "'and she never heard from him again.' Pig, said Felix forcibly. She was broken-hearted, of course. When she found out what had happened, 
She took all her wedding things and her supply of linen and some presents that had been given her and packed them all away in this old blue chest. Then she went away back to Montreal and took the key with her. She never came back to the island again. I suppose she couldn't bear it. And she has lived in Montreal ever since and never married. She is an old woman now, nearly seventy-five, and this chest has never been opened since. Mother wrote to Cousin Rachel ten years ago, said Cecily, and asked her if she might open the chest and see if the moths had got to it. There's a crack in the back, as big as your finger. Cousin Rachel wrote back that if it wasn't for one thing that was in the trunk, she would ask Mother to open the chest and dispose of the things as she liked. But she could not bear that any one but herself should see or touch that one thing. So she wanted it left as it was. Ma said she washed her hands of it, moths or no moths, and said if Cousin Rachel had to move that chest every time the floor had to be scrubbed, it would cure her of her sentimental nonsense. But I think, concluded Cecily, that I would feel just like Cousin Rachel in her place. What was the thing that she couldn't bear anyone to see? I asked. Ma thinks it was her wedding dress, but Father says he believes it was Will Montague's picture, said Felicity. He saw her put it in. Father knows some of the things that are in the chest. He was ten years old, and he saw her pack it. There's a white muslin wedding dress and a veil and a... Felicity dropped her eyes and blushed painfully. A petticoat embroidered by hand from hem to belt, said the story girl calmly. And a china fruit basket with an apple on the handle. Went on Felicity, much relieved. And a tea set and a blue candlestick. I dearly love to see all the things that are in it, said the story girl. Pa says it must never be opened without Cousin Rachel's permission, said Cecily. Felix and I looked at the chest reverently. It had taken on a new significance in our eyes, and seemed like a tomb, wherein lay buried some dead romance of vanished years. What happened to Will Montague? I asked. Nothing, said the story girl viciously. He just went on living and flourishing. He patched up matters with his creditors after a while, and came back to the island, and in the end he married a real nice girl with money, and was very happy. Did you ever hear of anything so unjust? Beverly King! suddenly cried Felicity, who had been peering into a pot. You've gone and put the turnips on to boil, whole just like potatoes. Wasn't that right? I cried in agony of shame. Right? But Felicity had already risked the turnips out and was slicing them while all the others were laughing at me. I had added the tradition on my own account to the family archives. Uncle Roger roared when he heard it, and he roared again at night over Peter's account of Felix attempting to milk a cow. Felix had previously acquired the knack of extracting milk from the udder, but he had never before tried to milk a whole cow. He did not go on well, and the cow trampled on his foot and finally upset the bucket. 
"'What are you to do when the cow won't stand straight?' spluttered Felix angrily. "'That's the question,' said Uncle Roger, shaking his head gravely. Uncle Roger's laughter was hard to bear, but his gravity was harder. Meanwhile, in the pantry, the story girl, apron-shouldered, was being initiated into the mystery of bread-baking. Under Felicity's eye, she set out the bread, and on the morrow she was to bake it. "'The first thing you must do in the morning is knead it well,' said Felicity. "'And the early it's done, the better, because it's such a warm night.' With that, we all went to bed and slept as soundly as if tragedies of blue chests and turnips and crooked cows and no place in the scheme of things at all. Chapter 13. An Old Proverb with a New Meaning. It was half past five when we boys got up the next morning. We were joined on the stairs by Felicity, yawning and rosy. Oh, dear me, I overslept myself. Uncle Roger wanted breakfast at six. Well, I suppose the fire is on somehow for the story girl is up i guess she's up early to knead the bread she couldn't sleep all night for worrying over it the fire was on and flourished and the triumph story girl was taking a loaf of bread from the oven just look she said proudly i have every bit of the bread baked i got up at three and it was lovely and light so i just gave it a right good kneading and popped it into the oven and it's all done and out of the way, but the loaves don't seem just quite as big as they should be, she said doubtfully. Sarah Stanley, Felicity flew across the kitchen. Do you mean that you put that bread right into the oven after you kneaded it, without leaving it to rise a second time? The story girl turned quite pale. Yes, I did, she said, faltering. Oh, Felicity, wasn't that right? You've ruined the bread, Felicity said flatly. It's as heavy as a stone, I declare, Sarah Stanley. You'd rather have a little common sense than be a great storyteller. Bitter indeed was the poor story girl's mortification. Don't tell Uncle Roger, she pro she implored humbly. Oh, I won't tell him, promised Felicity amiably. It's lucky there's enough old bread to do us for today. This will go to the hens, but it's an awful waste of good flour. The story girl crept out with Felix and me to the morning orchard, while Dan and Peter went on to do the barn work. It isn't any use for me to try to learn to cook, she said. Never mind, I said consolingly. You can tell splendid stories. But what good would that do a hungry boy, wailed the story girl. Boys ain't always hungry, said Felix gravely. There's times when they ain't. I don't believe it, said the story girl drearily. Besides, added Felix, in the tone of one who says, while there is a life, there is yet hope. You may learn to cook yet, if you keep on trying. But Aunt Olivia won't let me waste the stuff. My only hope was to learn this week, but I suppose Felicity is so disgusted with me now that she won't give me any more lessons. I don't care, said Felix. I like you better than Felicity, even if you can't cook. There's lots of folks can make bread, but there isn't many who can tell a story like you. But there's better to be useful than just interesting, sighed the story girl bitterly. And Felicity, who was useful, would, in her secret soul, have given anything to be interesting, which is the way of human nature. 
Company descended on us that afternoon. First came Aunt Janet's sister, Mrs. Patterson, with a daughter of sixteen years and a son of two. They were followed by a buggy load of Markdale people. And, finally, Mrs. Elder Fruin and her sister from Vancouver, with two small daughters of the latter, arrived. "'It never rains, but it pours,' said Uncle Roger, as he went out to take their horse. But Felicity's foot was on her native heath. She had been baking all the afternoon, and with the pantry well stocked with biscuits, cookies, cakes, and pies, she cared not if all of Carlisle came to tea. Cecily set the table, and the story girl waited on it, and washed all the dishes afterwards. But all the blushing honors fell to Felicity, who received so many compliments that her airs were quite unbearable for the rest of the week. She presided at the head of the table, with as much grace and dignity as if she had been five times twelve years old, and seemed to know by instinct just who took sugar and who took not, and she was flushed with excitement and pleasure, and was so pretty that I could hardly eat for looking at her, which is the highest compliment in a boy's power to pay. The story girl, on the contrary, was under eclipse. She was pale and lusterless from her disturbed night and early rising, and no opportunity offered to tell a melting tale. Nobody took any notice of her. It was Felicity's day. After tea, Mrs. Fruin and her sister wished to visit their father's grave in Carlisle Churchyard. It appeared that everybody wanted to go with them, but it was evident that somebody must stay home with Jimmy Patterson, who had just fallen sound asleep on the kitchen sofa. Dan finally volunteered to look after him. He had a new hinty book which he wanted to finish, and that, he said, was better fun than a walk to the graveyard. I think we'll be back before he wakes, said Mrs. Patterson, and anyhow, he's a very good one, and won't give you any trouble. Don't let him go outside, though. He has a cold now. We went away, leaving Dan sitting on the door, still reading his book, and Jimmy P. snoozing blissfully on the sofa. When we returned, Felix and the girls and I were ahead of the others. Dan was still sitting in precisely the same place and attitude, but there was no Jimmy in sight. "'Dan, where's the baby?' cried Felicity. Dan looked round. His jaw fell in blank amazement. I never saw any one look as foolish as Dan at that moment. "'Good gracious, I don't know,' he said helplessly. "'You've been so deep in that wretched book that you've let him get away.' "'Who knows where he is now?' cried Felicity, distractedly. "'I wasn't,' cried Dan. "'He must be in the house. I've been sitting right across the door ever since you left, and he couldn't have got out unless he crawled right over me. He must be in the house.' "'He isn't in the kitchen,' said Felicity, rushing out wildly. "'And he couldn't get into the other parts of the house, "'for I shut the hall door tight, and no baby could open it. "'And it's shut tight yet. "'So are all the windows. "'He must have got out the front door, Dan King, and it's your fault. "'He didn't get out the door,' Dan stubbornly stated. "'I know that. "'Well, where is he, then? "'He isn't here.' "'Did he melt into air?' demanded Felicity. Oh, come and look for him, all of you. Don't stand round like ninnies. We must find him before his mother gets here. Dan King, I can't believe you. 
Dan was too frightened to resent this at the time. However and wherever Jimmy had gone, he was gone. So much was certain. We tore about the house and yard like maniacs. We looked into every likely, unlikely place, but Jimmy could not be found, any more than if he had indeed melted into air. Mrs. Patterson came, and we had not found him. Things were getting serious. Uncle Roger and Peter were summoned from the field. Mrs. Patterson became hysterical and was taken into the spare room with such remedies as could be suggested. Everybody blamed poor Dan. Cecily asked him what he would feel like if Jimmy was never, never found. The story girl had a gruesome recollection of some baby at Markdale who had wandered away like that. And they never found him till next spring, and all they found was a skeleton with the grass growing through it she whispered. This beats me, said Uncle Roger, when a fruitless hour had elapsed. I do hope that baby hasn't wandered down to the swamp. It seems impossible he could walk so far. But I must go and see. Felicity, hand me my high boots out from under the sofa. There's a girl. Felicity, pale and tearful, dropped to her knees and lifted the ruffled frills of the sofa. There, his head pillowed on Uncle Roger's boots, lay Jimmy Patterson, still sound asleep. "'Well, I'll be jiggered,' said Uncle Roger. "'I knew he never left out the door,' said Dan triumphantly. When the last buggy had driven away, Felicity set a batch of bread, and the rest of us sat round the back porch steps in the cat's light and ate cherries, shooting the pits at each other. Cecily was in quest of information. What does it never rain, but it pours mean? Oh, it means if anything happens, something else is sure to happen, said the story girl. It illustrates. There's Mrs. Murphy. She never had a proposal in her life till she was forty, and then she had three in one week, and she was so flustered she took the wrong one and has been sorry ever since. Do you see what it means now? Yes, I guess so, said Cecily, somewhat doubtful. Later on, we heard her imparting her newly acquired knowledge to Felicity in the pantry. It never rains, but it pours, means that nobody wants to marry you for ever so long, and then lots of people do.